Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, August 5th, 2022. I'm John Pothortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate Editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And joining us today, taking a break from his well-deserved family vacation to talk to us, uh, Commentary, Washington Commentary columnist, AI scholar, author of The Right, The Hundred-Year War for American Conservatism, Matthew Connetti. Hi, Matt. Hi, John. You say it's a break, but really I'm just hiding from my family right now. That's the- uh, Yes, well, that is also a very important part of the relaxation that goes with a vacation <laughs> is hiding from your family. Um, Matt, uh, we called an audible and invited you on literally 20 minutes ago because I get in my uh, inbox uh, your column this week uh, uh in the Washington Free Beacon called the GOP's Summer Swoon. And you were on last week with me scoffing at the very idea that there was a democratic resurgence uh, that that suggested that the tsunami wasn't going to hit the party in November. And you have either bethought yourself or you are trying to awaken the Republican Party to the fact (laughs) that it cannot that its idea that it could sort of coast into November uh, riding uh, the horrors of inflation uh, was a uh, delusion. So uh, why don't you spell out what you say in the column and then we'll get into it. Sure. I mean, I actually think it's a both and uh, thing, John, is that um, I I have kind of rethought things, but I'm also very concerned that the GOP just assumes that they're going to win. an easy vote in November. Here's why I I sort of rethought things. The more I studied the um, shenanigans uh, on the Hill uh, that happened last week, last Wednesday, when the Senate Republicans and then many House Republicans voted for the Chips and Science Act, the semiconductor uh, bill, on the assumption that uh, Manchin would not move forward on a separate spending bill uh, with the 50 Democrats, um, I realized that in the words of Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, the GOP got rinky dude, uh, rinky dude, <laughs> rinky dude, my I quote of the week. Uh, it felt and, by the way, the way, the way Gentiles must feel when they learn a new Yiddishism and that's so opposite. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. They got rinky dude. Yeah. yeah. Rinky dude. Um, so they vote to McConnell had made this pledge as we all remember that they were not going to support, they were going to block the CHIPS Act until um, we knew that uh, reconciliation, i.e. Build Back Better, was dead and buried. And I, that's what they must have assumed was happening when they voted, uh, 17 of the Senate Republicans voted to advance and pass this bill on CHIPS to send it to the president's desk. However, within hours, within hours of that vote, Manchin and Schumer announced that, yes, they've reached the deal on this absurdly named Inflation Reduction Act. And now the GOP looked kind of aimless because they will have failed. They will have helped Biden achieve something that Biden wanted and which has arguments uh, in support of it, the the semiconductor bill, but also not blocked um, this this deal. So that was last week. And then on Tuesday, you get this um, primary vote, uh, primaries across the country. Trump candidates do very well. 
um, including some, uh, in my view, uh, unelectable candidates like Carrie Lake in Arizona. The, the race was just called for last night, uh, governor of Arizona. Uh, and you get the Kansas vote, right? So in Kansas, the ballot initiative, which I'm sure you've talked about on the podcast this week, was going to basically say that a state judge was wrong and that there was no right to an abortion in the Kansas state constitution. And so the Kansas legislature could regulate abortion. And similar referenda had passed in other states. Well, the uh, pro-life side got uh, uh, got routed uh, on Tuesday night. And what that said to me is the GOP, uh, at one, as we probably should have known, has no way um, uh, uh, to approach the abortion issue um, soundly and persuasively. And they're, they're so afraid of taking on the abortion issue that they end up leaving themselves exposed to attack. And for those, so for those two reasons, the chips, and the, the pro-life um, uh, side in Kansas, um, I, I'm, I'm worried about uh, what might happen uh, in the coming months. I mean, the most important um, uh, polling detail that you have is that in the six competitive yeah. Senate races, and there are probably eight actually, but we'll, we'll, we'll get right. to that in a minute, but in the six Senate races that in a, in a conventional wave year with marginally uh competent candidates you could have expected all six simply to tilt go right right into republican hands that's arizona nevada nevada pennsylvania ohio north carolina and georgia Georgia. only one of the Republican candidates is in the lead, and it's not anybody anybody has ever heard of. It's Ted Budd who was running in North Carolina, ahead by one point, right? In so, the, the five thirty eight average. So, Herschel Walker, Mehmet Oz, J.D. Vance, Blake Masters, Catherine Cortez Mastio. Laxalt. La- Laxalt. Adam Republican. Laxalt. I'm sorry. She Cortez Mastio is the is the sitting senator. Incumbent, yeah. And I'm missing one. Anyway, so well, what do these all have in common, right? These are all Trump endorsements. Right. Some of them fought a pretty competitive primary, barely squeaked out a win. But yeah. where Trump won, the Republican Party is losing. So here's what I want to ask you. So there, there's that. So that in in the Republican ecosystem or in the conservative ecosystem, uh, there are uh, pressures and interests and policies and behavioral quirks that the Republican electorate likes. Uh, and in the general election ecosystem there are increasing signs since this is happening in different states and different geographical regions and all of that that the general election electorate is put off by exactly the things that helped get all these candidates who are doing badly so far nominated this is incredibly similar and to the Democratic Party in the 1970s and 1980s. To get through the gauntlet to make yourself a Democratic nominee for a Senate seat, 
after 1980, or really from 1976 onward, you had to say things and do things that made you toxic in November, in a great many cases, in order to forward the, you know, or to get through what a Democratic electorate wanted, party electorate wanted. And uh, Republicans may now be in exactly the same position. Now, but you then, you then, uh, say that so that the the Kansas Republican Party that wanted to go for this revision of the state constitution or, or however however whatever the corkscrew thing was to get to get themselves access to the state constitution to amend the state constitution where they are and the people that they're with that was totally normal and and in an uncon that that's what they wanted that's where they've been going that's their thing and it didn't really occur to them that they were sowing the seeds of an epic disaster because of the way everybody is now siloed in their own silos or what, what do you silo in you silo in, You're a, in si a silo okay yeah. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, well, just uh, so on the Senate candidates first, um, when you look at the polling, you see that uh, A, the Republican vote has not consolidated behind any of these Trump picks. And so in many of the cases, the party is still divided after what are what were contentious primaries. And B, independents have not translated their disapproval and dislike of the incumbent president, Joe Biden, into support for Republican challengers down ballot at the senatorial and gubernatorial level. Now, there are some election analysts like Henry Olson at the Washington Post, he'll say that both of those things will happen. And so I'm overreacting, right? Or people who think like I do at the moment are overreacting. But because of what you're saying, that there, each of these candidates in the Senate has peculiarities and are kind of weak. You know, they're not, they don't really perform well, in my view. Um, that might not happen. We don't know. But it's something to think about. On, this, on the Kansas side, I think the problem was, yes, a, a kind of sense that, well, this is Kansas. And similar referenda have passed in some cases in Louisiana, I think that it won by like 20 points. But this is the first time post-Dobbs that a referenda had been put to the ballot test. And so you can't just assume you're going to win. And the pro-lifers were outspent. Kansas is kind of a weird state. You know, they have a Democratic governor, Kathleen Sebelius, Mrs. Abortion. She was the two-term governor of Kansas and not, um, within the last 20 years. And moreover, the pro-lifers were basically trying to change things. Yeah. So status quo bias worked against them. And they were trying to, they were saying, we're going to remove something democratically that you think is in the constitution. And people don't like right. removing things. That's loss aversion. We know this about people. So, so it was kind of stacked against them anyway. But I think the important point, and what I especially was struck by analysis by Frank Cannon, who used to be a partner of uh, my, my late friend and uh, mentor, Jeffrey Bell, and also Gary Bauer wrote a separate analysis saying that from a pro-lifer perspective, it was a disaster because no one was making the, an affirmative case. 
No one was saying, look, we want to do this in order to pass a heartbeat bill. We want to do this in order to pass a fetal uh, pain bill. We want to do this so that we can truly end late-term abortions. Instead, it was just, let's get rid of the, <laughs> let's change the Constitution. You have to have a substitute that people like, that people support, and people support all three things, heartbeat bills, fetal pain bills, late-term abortion restrictions, in order to defeat a better organized, better financed, more enthusiastic pro-choice side. Right. But Noah, this gets to your point, which is that that's how you do it. Like you said, you know that there are these things that people don't like about abortion and you go at them, right? Uh, older, uh, a fetus older than 15 weeks. Um, you know, no one in Europe, there's no abortions in Europe after 15 weeks or even after 12. Uh, what are we, you know, what are we more savage than Europe? I mean, I don't know how you want to, all that stuff and fetal heartbeat and stuff like that. But not if you want to drink liberal tears. If what you want to do is stick it to the libs and say you're all baby killers and we just, you know, we just stuck it to you in the ribs, uh, you're going to put people off. And effectively, that is when Gary and, and Frank say that they're not, that they're not making the argument. What they're implicitly saying is that this atmosphere, this MAGA atmosphere, which is it's not enough to win you must you know hear the lamentations of their women it's you know one of the great turning points i'm sorry i'm monologuing here a little bit you know in casey 92 decision in casey that reaffirmed roe and was a remember roe was only 19 years old at that point and there was every reason to think that roe it wasn't a big precedent whatever was going to be overturned and in fact, Anthony Kennedy switched his vote and it was not overturned. Was a that was a seismic event. And the pro-life movement, which had then been simply, you know, just abortion is murder, had to change tactics if their goal was to reduce the numbers of abortions in the United States. And Doug Johnson, who ran the National Right to Life Committee, they altered their approach to going at individual acts kinds of abortions or procedures that shock the conscience and over 30 years they clawed back the the you know sort of like unlimited right to abortion they educated americans on the kinds of abortions that really do shock the conscience and they got legal and juridical support for the idea that there was not an unlimited right to an abortion if certain states wanted to regulate it that that this did not certain types of abortions this did not you know violate roe and now because of dobbs we're back in the atmosphere in which you can say we can ban abortion from you know, the moment of gestation, if we can get support in a state legislature and a governor to sign it. And this is a this is a very serious temptation to return to absolutism when, in fact, incrementalism is what led to Dobbs in the first place. I have many thoughts, but I think Abe has a response to that. I'll make it a short uh, thought in that case, um, just to sort of sum up. Um, it's as if the Republicans 
pushed ahead, embraced, went forward with the Thomas concurrence instead of the the actual. And here's elite, why. That's decision. that's brilliant. And that's, here's why. That is that is that's my yeah. thought. Donald Trump and the MAGA movement he leads has a has a, a weird arm's length relationship with pro life causes and pro life principles. Um, what he liked about it and what he leaned into, particularly in the campaign side, because he never had a particular affinity for pro-life causes. He wasn't a pro-life guy. What he liked was the absolutism of it. What did he pitch himself as in 2016 when he adopted a pro-life persona? We need to punish women who have abortions. Now, that's not a pro-life position. It's not the pro-life movement's position. Generally, it's always been, if there's a legal prescription here, it's aimed at medical providers and providers of this of this procedure. And he said something, he tapped into that very similar id when he was making the speech the other day, where he talked about how we need to put uh, drug dealers to death. He has a way of tapping into the unspoken darkest impulses that lurk in the very back of the Republican soul that they know they're not supposed to say in public, but he gives you permission. He gives you license to think those things and even say them out loud. When it comes to the MAGA movement, um, and those people who have perhaps a, a tangential relationship or like a partial partial affinity for pro-life causes, but don't necessarily share the principle. Uh, you can kind of have it both ways. Drinking liberal tears is, is all well and good, right? But now they've erected this myth that allows them to lose and win at the same time. Because they don't actually ever really lose, right? There's always some sort of machination that can explain it. Um, so the pivot to the general is sort of unnecessary. How's how's uh, Carrie Lake appealing to the general electorate right now? She pitched a video yesterday where it was like this, you know, wacky beach sequence from like an uh, an Elvis movie where uh, it's it's Donald Trump and his family and Devin Nunes is there playing guitar and they're all surfing a red wave. Uh, this is her this is her pitch to the general electorate, which isn't a pitch at all. It's just a thumb in the eye. Screw you. I won. Whether she loses in the general election is sort of immaterial. You get the same psychological satisfaction from winning or losing. Well, you don't, though, of course. I mean, that that's the thing. Like the 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 goal at the end of the day is to have power and then to try to do things with the power that are congruent with the message. But that's that not have. the psychological reward. I mean, well, yes, the that's psychological the political reward, reward for Kelly Ward, uh, excuse me, Carrie Lake, not Kelly Ward. Psychological thing would be to lose and then be able to claim that the election was stolen from her. I mean, the, the, you know, the her narrative has been totally screwed up here because in her first election after the horrors of 2020 that the state of Arizona refused to demonstrate were the result of uh, of election theft and fraud, and that therefore it's not clear why that election theft and fraud wouldn't have taken place in her first election here. She wins. To me, well, it's because, because, of the late same... too, because of the late ballots. Because of late right. ballots. She was right. losing on election yeah. night, and then she won. Which she would have called crazy. She would have called a conspiracy if it had gone against She's her. Like, you know, Carrie Lake is, reminds me of that line uh, from the uh, Dark Knight where, uh, you know, Michael Caine tells Christian Bale, you know, some people just want to watch the world burn. I, yeah. I get that sense. But that's it. Carrie that's, Lake. That's, that's 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 what her psychological yeah. reward. This okay. is the this is the yeah. affectation that they like. And uh, genuine pro-lifers are possessed with real compassion. They are not. They reject compassion. Well, you know what? I want to I want to steer this back to the general question of 
where the Republican Party is now. And two two thoughts. One, everybody has a present day bias. So it's three weeks ago and you're like, well, I mean, Biden is terrible. Everything is awful. Everything he does fails. Inflation is getting worse. You know, everything's getting worse. Everything is terrible. He's dead. Let's all go party. Politics doesn't work like that because the more, the worse things get, unless you're Jimmy Carter, and he could be Jimmy Carter, Democrats, I mean, the worse things get, that's when desperate creativity can start coming into play because people don't give up and roll over and play dead. And Manchin or Schumer, Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, we didn't know that he had this in him, did not roll over and play dead. He has been a bad Senate Majority Leader until last week, and suddenly he is actually a really good Senate Majority Leader. He pulled off a shocker. He pulled his he pulled a U-turn that nobody expected. He outplayed Mitch McConnell, the greatest Machiavellian player in Washington in the last 20 years. He totally outplayed him. He outplayed him not only on that, but they were outplayed on this burn pit, mandatory versus discretionary spending glitch hiccup. And, you know, uh, this is the thing about politics. You can't, things can change on a dime. There is, there are trends, there are atmospheres, there is the, you know, what is the term that they use, you know, the, the, the uh, I don't know, the state of play is unfavorable to the party in power. But the party in power is not without agency, particularly if they can get a bill with 50 plus one senators through the House and Senate, they, they, they're back in the game. And somebody can come up with a drone that has knives on it and kill the world's most wanted man on a, you know, on a deck in, 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 in Kabul. Uh, all right. And, all right. All right. All right. But let's not overstate okay. the, the political value of this particular bill. That's the Inflation Reduction Act that somehow focuses only, only and exclusively on climate change and raising taxes. The political salience of that in November. Are is the Democratic base going to be fired up because they got a bill? No, but the Republicans are all are unnerved. Republi- are Republicans Every, and, yeah. and independents going to be going to completely forget about the fundamentals of this election year in November? Well, because I, of this? I, I think it's more, as, as John said, it's more kind of the um, attitude of Republicans over the past few weeks has changed from one of high confidence to kind of shell shock, which is, you know, they're very, everything is going your way. We're moving toward this huge repudiation of Biden. And then in the space of seven days, things aren't looking like they're going your way. Like, you know, you get messed up by Schumer, um, then you, uh, uh, there's Zawahiri, which is you know victory for the country, helps Biden, but uh, it seems to be pretty forgotten quickly, actually. Um, uh, you and can then say you the get... same about a climate change bill. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but it's a very safe bet that in three months, we will still be on a pathway towards civilizational collapse as a result of climate change, whether this bill passes or not. Well, no, no. Well, my point, though, is it, what recent events have unnerved Republicans and that, when you get unnerved and kind of shell-shocked, you can make mistakes. And there, the other p- component of this is they are fielding candidates in these Senate races 
that are that are just not very nimble, right? And a kind of uh, out of the mainstream in some cases. So the 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 point here is that for me, the GOP's worst outcome would be simply winning the House of Representatives, which I still think is basically a done deal, right? Because the the House the House result is very closely tied to the presidential job approval, and Biden. The public does not like Biden. They don't like him. They don't want him to run again. They, they're done with Joe Biden. On the other hand, they're not Democrats. They haven't really, you know, they're willing to accept Democrats in some cases uh, at, at lo- uh, down the ballot. Um, and so this is this is what worries me, is if you get only the Republicans in the House, you have a replay of what happened during those four years in the middle of Barack Obama's presidency. And I don't want to relive those four years. One of the consequences, <laughs> one of the consequences of those four years was Trump. Right. The fact that the Tea Party House couldn't get anything done and kept shutting down the government and get then the massive sequester and the debt crisis and we're printing the 20 or the trillion dollar coin built up the populist frustration to the point that they were like, yeah, let's get Gozer. Let's get Trump in here. So that's that's what I think the GOP needs to avoid. And the only way they can do that is if they have a full spectrum victory. And if they're willing to go on offense and have answers at the ready when they're faced with this very important abortion question, what do you want to do? Where do you stand? Right. So this gets to Noah's point about the everybody who is in bad shape or in worse shape than they should be like J.D. Vance, who was in a state that is R plus eight and is not leading in the polls and is a nationally famous person. He's not an obscure figure. He's a you know best-selling author and you know the controversial pundit and all that. And he's losing to a pretty interesting purplish candidate in Tim Ryan. And then you say, okay, well, you know what you're saying is right. This is what Republicans see, but the Republican electorate did not choose as it did in 2014. Republican electorate did not choose to go for let's have a victory here over we want the purity we want the maga purity brigade in here to make the liberals drink their own tears that's what they wanted in almost it's what they wanted day. it's what they wanted <laughs> because one difference between 2014 and 2022 is Mitch McConnell did not play in these senate primaries he did not go in there like he did in 2014 and say, this is the guy. This is the lady. This is Joni Ernst. She is a talent. She's a star. And we're going to consolidate behind her. He didn't do that because he doesn't want to face Trump. And what that meant is that the entire primary field has been deceded to Donald Trump. And so he's choosing these candidates. JD, he elevates JD from third place to to first with his endorsement. But JD doesn't. JD got what about a third of the vote? Yeah, uh, well, and, and Blake, Ma- Blake Masters, same thing. Blake Masters from third to first because of the Trump endorsement, but about a, th- a little bit more than a third of the vote, right? So that so it's the failure of the Republican establishment. Maybe that's kind of the. Okay, I want to talk about this. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but can't it? I can't even imagine how you could pull off a, a kind of like a Ken Buck. Cory Gardner's switch, switcheroo now, a very behind the scenes, closed door, smoky room sort of situation, because and which we knew about that after the, the ink was dry on the deal. We would have been privy to all of that 
in this environment because the MAGA brigade wouldn't let it happen. The conservative media environment wouldn't have let it happen. McConnell's, he's said, you know, in his mind, he's playing the long game. He's setting these guys up for failure. And so that eventually he can come around and uh, and fix things. But I don't think that's going to happen because he didn't play now. I don't know. It's, you know, this is an interesting question. We have three strikes against McConnell here. We have essentially, and it was, it was what happened with Herschel Walker when he said, okay, I'm fine with Herschel Walker. Nobody should be fine with Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker is at best um, a crazy person, you know, claims to have multiple personalities. He has 82 children while he runs as the father candidate. He talks about good air and bad air when he's trying to convey the idea that, you know, climate change is cross-border. So somebody tried to explain it to him that way, and then he tried to explain it. And he's running eight or nine points behind Brian Kemp, meaning that a generic Republican, the most boring person who ever ran for office, would be running, would be, you know, would be five points up on Raphael Warnock instead of five points down. And McConnell signaled that he was not going to play there. And then we have these two very serious uh, logistical gamesmanship failures this month uh, in the CHIPS Inflation Reduction Act sequence where he got played and in the fire pit thing where somehow his senatorial management didn't pick up on this game that the democrats played to turn uh to turn you know uh authorized spending into mandatory spending um and so i don't know you know he's almost 80 years old you know maybe he's lost a lot of velocity on his fastball you know biden has also it's pretty old to be the senate majority leader uh and he's been a, a remarkable political player for a very long time and I would not say that this should fill people with confidence that should the Republicans take the Senate in November, that he will be the best steward of their team going forward. Abe. So I'm wondering, so in light of the this sort of, where the, the Dems are having this good spell, there's, we're, there's some panic, understandably here, for uh, among Republicans. But what do Democrats do to build on this, right? If things stay exactly as they are. This doesn't make the difference. Um, and I'm of the opinion that Democrats are every bit as capable as Republicans of going overboard, being triumphalist, and trying to be bold and thinking that they can capitalize on the on this moment by reverting once again to very eccentric or or at least somewhat radical ideas trying to push through now thinking they have the mandate that that everyone's been telling them they didn't have up until this point that's absolutely possible um and uh the atmosphere is still the fundamentals are still unfavorable i mean you know even good news is bad news in a certain sense so we as we're sitting here taping this news comes of this colossal jobs report 528,000 new jobs in june right i mean that's or july whatever it, it that's amazing 
except if you want to constrain inflation. It is not amazing. It is terrible. It is terrible to wildly outrun your jobs expectations because that means that, you know, employers, we still have a labor shortage. Unemployment is now, we're now effectively uh, over full employment, 3.6% unemployment rate. There was a point in this country when 5% was considered full employment. We're not like that now, but this is as close to being full employment as we can possibly have, which means there will be upward pressure on salaries, upward pressure on benefits. That is inflationary. <clears throat> and, you know, the horror of this, as we, we talked about last week, is good jobs news is great, but the actual number of people who are helped by an increase in the jobs number is 528,000 plus their families. And if there is a tick up of, you know, 0.2% in the inflation rate, 333, 333 million people feel that. Everybody feels that. Nobody feels an increase in, right. nobody feels a decrease in the unemployment rate, except the people who get employed, who were unemployed before. No, team team Mint the Coin is crowing about how, look, it's not a recession. Ha ha, you idiots. You don't understand what recession is. National Bureau of e uh, Economic Research isn't going to call, call this a recession. We were right. You were wrong. And then the Fed moves up by 100 basis points in September and thrusts the economy into recession. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just for a, my next commentary column, I was doing some research in public opinion. Large majority of this country thinks we're in a recession now. Majorities of black voters and Hispanic voters but, think we're in a recession now. So it doesn't matter what the. And it's NDR even gross. Says. It's even more gross that that is because the, they handle that 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 um, sentiment, the sentiment that's abroad and dismiss it as just vibes. Oh, right. there's, you know, yeah. it's just people, these idiots. Well, that's, in that's Abe's point, right? They, they always, the, the left always overreaches and uh, all the left is always w willing to try to gaslight the American public. You know, what you see is not reality. Um, and that could very well come back to haunt them uh, in November. My point was at this snapshot of the campaign in late, uh, in, in late summer, um, with about a month before the general election really begins in earnest. I think the Republicans are in disarray. I really do. They, they're kind of like, what are we What are we actually standing for? You know, and um, and by the way, oh, let's not talk about that huge pro-life victory that we got in the Supreme Court because we're afraid that, A, some of our people are too extreme on it and they hold a position, you know, of no abortion, no exceptions, which is just not in the public uh, mainstream. And D, we, we don't really know how to talk about this issue in a way that is both compassionate to all involved and includes some affirmative proposals for, what, for how we want to address the, uh, abortion. So that, that, I think, is just the problem facing the GOP today. So, so I think you need to separate some strands here just for clarity's sake with, you know, with, with the people who are listening. Um, so obviously we're saying at the state level and in a lot of these states, the uh, uh, Republican Party does want to talk about abortion. It does want to push things forward. We have Ron DeSantis in Florida, which we should get to, firing a, a, a prosecutor for signing a letter saying he would not prosecute cases of people who broke the state's um, abortion provisions. Um, which is leading to screams and cries. So there's he's there. There are the people in Kansas who put this bill forward. 
you're talking about the kind of consultant you're talking about the how to get right. people elected class right who are right. afraid who are both very attracted to because they understand the value of hot button issues that stimulate the base and terrified of them at the same time no none more than abortion because of course chances are those very people are married to people who are like throwing things at them across the <laughs> breakfast table or they're pro-choice themselves the consultants yeah, right? right so it's like uh right. i don't know how to deal with this yeah yeah you're right no there are people and look i actually think that desantis and yunkin uh, governor yunkin in virginia are handling it well both of them have landed at basically uh, the the consensus position in terms of public opinion, which is the 15-week ban, right? And that's also what the consensus is in Europe. So let's, if, if Republicans move toward that, um, and that's, I think, the fetal pain uh, standard, yeah. uh, I think they'd have a good alternative and say, well, this is what we want to do. The problem is everyone is operating independently of one another. And a lot of the campaign consultants are saying, well, don't don't go there. You know, don't talk about abortion because you may make a Todd Aiken like gap. Right. And ruin your chances. And that just leaves a lot of these candidates open to an attack and uh, opens them up to being defined by their opponent as as radicals. Um, uh, and there's no once you're defined in the public mind, it's very hard yeah. to escape. Abe. My question is, is it at all possible, and I'm asking this because I don't know the answer, I don't even have an answer in mind, that what happened in Kansas um, takes some of the sting out of the Dobbs decision for liberals? Um, up until this point, the, the idea was a, a very confused idea that the Supreme Court had outlawed abortion in the United States. Very clearly, this is not the case. Um, now, undeniably, for, for a great many people to see. Um, might that sort of cool the temperature and therefore make the opposition a little less urgent? Well, I would just, you know, I'd quote Lombardi and say, you know, winning isn't the only thing. It's, it's everything, right? Um, or maybe I mixed up that quote. Uh, oh, I yeah, it. no, that is winning isn't winning everything. Is, it's the only it's thing. The only or, thing. Yeah, that's yeah, it. one of the others. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. there is, a, you know, you get a burst of confidence when you win, and uh, so I think this will energize a lot of pro-choicers to say that, you know, they can have other victories. I do think, though, it's hard to translate the ballot question into campaigns. You know, I mean, because with campaigns, you're dealing with a binary choice between two human beings. It's not just it's not just the words on the ballot, right? Which, you know, I have, my reflexive instinct is to always vote no on ballot questions. That's a rule I learned from Fred Barnes. It's just vote no, yeah. right? That's the default answer, no. Yeah. Yeah. And of course that would have meant that I would have been, I'm not saying this is the way I would have voted in Kansas, but that, that helps, right? That helped the no forces in Kansas, that kind of instinct to say, oh God, no, what, are we, what, are you, what craziness have we come up with now? So then you try to put that into uh, a race where there are two candidates. And if the, one of the, the pro-life candidate is able to speak intelligently about this subject, then they, 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 they might immunize themselves against attack. The problem is very few Republicans are able to talk intelligently about this subject. And so you get yourself into this weird position where, you know, they're going to say things that 
uh, the the opposition will just uh, seize upon uh, and turn into uh, negative advertisements. So Noah, I would say that you uh, for months have been saying sort of what Matt implicitly criticizes the GOP consultant class for trying to say, which is what's wrong with you people? The economic environment is just dreadful. Just talk about that. Just talk about that. Why, why are you going anywhere else? Like just keep reminding people of the thing that is the most troublesome to them. Do you, how do you feel about Matt's argument here that, you know, they need to be able, they, they're going to have to talk about abortion, so they should probably do it well. I mean, I know you would agree with that, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, when, when the Dobbs decision came out, and a little bit before, if you read Alito's uh, draft decision, um, as as though it was going to be the decision, was that it seemed to me that Republicans on the federal level, at least if you're looking for a federal office, should say, listen, I have my personal preferences, but the Supreme Court has spoken. They've remanded this issue to the states. It is out of my hands. Got opinions on it. I would like to see X happen at the state level, but this is not a federal issue. Um, I think that's an effective way to navigate this. You know, Democrats will be like, ah, or whatever. But then you have something like Kansas happening, and that's demonstrably what the Supreme Court said should happen on the federal level indeed uh or at the state level and then you know democrats are trying to own the republicans by doing exactly what the supreme court said they should do codify these rights that are found in the penumbras of the 14th amendment in, in legislation i mean this is all the sort of thing that you should say as we want democratic solutions to these social issues it's happening this is what's happening we've always said the supreme court had intervened in these issues in ways that were uh, stretched the bounds of constitutional propriety, and we're finally taking this back, and, and that's how this should happen. And also, you're paying $6 a gallon for milk. You know, you can say it in literally the same sentence. Yeah. And also, have you seen your gas bill? I mean, the social issues can not be defused, per se, but postponed for another cycle, perhaps a better cycle, not necessarily a better political environment cycle, but a better cycle candidate-wise. But it just doesn't have to be the central animating focus of this election year. And, and I think the Supreme Court handed everybody a, 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 a real easy way to do that. Uh, and a lot, to their credit, I, don't, I can't think of very many Republicans uh, office holders right now, just, uh, as opposed to you know, those on the ballot, at the state level, at least, state, statewide level. A lot of them are doing that. Very few of them, have, especially in the wake of the Dobbs decision, they were, they were pretty reticent to jump right into this debate and say exactly what they believe and exactly what they wish would happen on a national level uh, to their credit. Uh, that was strategic. Um, but there is always going to be a few who have a, a burst of moral enthusiasm around this thing, probably genuinely held. I can't blame them for it. But yeah, if your positions are at odds with what voters want, um, you know, you should probably keep that held close to your chest. Um, let me <clears throat> pull back and talk to you about our friend David Bonson and his book. There's no free lunch, 250 economic truths today of all days with this very interesting counterintuitive news about massive job growth. Massive job growth, of course, we are conditioned to believe is nothing but a positive and nothing but a sign of health and, uh, and excitement. Uh, David, uh, in his book, explores uh, almost every economic idea you can think of, 250 of them. Uh, in a sort of daily primer fashion, explaining every concept supported, ballasted by 
quotes from great philosophers, theologians, thinkers, economists. And um, David's own perspective on this is a little counterintuitive because he believes that we are actually in a long-term deflationary era uh, matching uh, Japan's. Um, but the short term is the short term. And we this is happening at a moment at which the economy has already pulled back a little. We have actually a clear signs of a deceleration of inflation in gas prices, in commodity prices, in some other stuff. But, you know, if suddenly a bunch of, you know, half a million Americans are suddenly infused with cash they didn't have before and uh, everybody else is now in a position to go to their employers and demand, um, you know, and demand raises because the environment has changed, uh, that will cause, that has the bizarre effect of causing upward pressure on exactly the inflationary conditions that we're facing in the short term. All of this is made clear in the concepts and ideas that you will find in David's book, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. David knows wherever he speaks. He runs an investment uh, advisory firm uh, yeah, of, called the Bonson Group and has you know, three and a half million dollars under management, people who trust him with their lives and their money. Read his book. It's great. Get it. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, wherever you get books. David Bonson's There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths. I want to talk about this Ron DeSantis thing. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the firing of the, um, is it Hillsborough County? I can't remember the name of the county. Uh, this guy, Warren, um, the, the DA, uh, who said he would not prosecute laws that are on the books of Florida and how, uh, you know, the New York times literally in its first paragraph said, uh, this flabbergasting event marks more signs that DeSantis is an authoritarian. Um, DeSantis used powers that are clearly his in the Florida state constitution. Everybody might remember that three years ago, DeSantis fired from, from the Tallahassee state house, the sheriff of the County, uh, uh Sheriff Israel, whose, uh, pol police department mishandled the Parkland mass shooting. I don't remember anybody saying that what DeSantis did there was authoritarian. It's just that he is going after a progressive prosecutor who played progressive po prosecutor games and thought he was safe because he's in a county that is, you know, uh, marginally democratic. Uh, I would say this is the way to play the culture war because he's going at a guy who says he's not going to faithfully execute the responsibilities of his position and is a crime, is a prosecutor at a time when Americans are getting more unnerved by rising crime rates. And here's a guy who says he won't prosecute people who break the law of Florida. It's prosecuting the culture wars within the proper bounds of where they should be prosecuted as an elected official. You know, the, the state legislature passing a law that says Trump should go back on Twitter is not appropriate legislative uh, propriety it, this is this is valuable insofar as one. i've seen people say that this is an attack on prosecutorial discretion and if you're a criminal justice reformer prosecutorial discretion is very valuable I've, i'm very much in favor of it in fact i don't I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of mandatory minimums because it, it eliminates the judicial discretion discretion is good 
on the part of people who are uh, prosecuting the law and enacting the law. This is not prosecutorial discretion. This was indiscretion. He was he was being indiscreet by affecting this blanket prohibition on uh, enforcing the state laws. Uh, so yeah, I'm all in all in favor of it. And it's a misunderstanding of what the issues of this particular particular fight are. Look, different governors wouldn't be able to do this. Like, it just happens in Florida. He has the power to do this. And the state legislature can overturn him and reinstate Warren if it so chooses. And in fact, uh, the sheriff of Sheriff Israel tried the very same tactic and did not did not succeed because this is within this is within the powers granted to the governor of Florida by the by by Florida. I think this is another example of DeSantis governing like uh, Trump supporters wished Trump had governed. And they're all they're, DeSantis is building up this portfolio over his time in office during this first term where he will be in a position to say, should he decide to challenge Donald Trump? Say, Look, you know, I took on the public health experts. You didn't. You know, uh, I took on Disney. Where were you fighting woke corporations? I fired the Soros prosecutor because he wasn't enforcing the rule of law. Did you do anything like that, Donald? So whether he decides to enter the 2024 race or not, DeSantis has clearly positioned himself as the, 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 effect, the effective MAGA leader, right? As a Trump will give you the show. You get the show, you get the speech, you get the circus, and you might get a few policies. DeSantis, maybe a less exciting personality, but a much more effective executive. Which is why you hear people on the left saying, oh, he's so much more dangerous than Trump. He um, is. He's scary. Can I can I just share with you this one very important point? We are having on the right, particularly on the right, we this conversation and and on the left because Carolyn Maloney, in her debate with Jerry Nadler uh, on Monday, said I don't think Biden is going to run again, and then she sort of apologized to him, uh, but that didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, she apologized a, and then she said, "I still think you're not going to run again." Right. But I'm sorry for okay. saying that. I think that. Right. Okay. So we're having conversation about whether Biden has lost a step. I just had a conversation with you guys about whether McConnell has lost a step. Nancy Pelosi is 81 years old. McConnell is 79 years old. Biden is 79 years old. Trump is 76, I believe, right now. Hi, I'm Ron DeSantis. I'm 44 years old. Nice to meet you. Hey, uh, Donald Trump, you know, when you were like saying that AIDS was like your Vietnam, I was in kindergarten, you know, when you were on with Robin Leach, I didn't even know who Robin Leach was. I'm 44 years old. Did I mention that I was 44 years old? We just had a president whom we saw decline in office cognitively. I love old people. My parents are old. My my grandmother was old. My dad is the greatest man who ever lived. A lot of you Republicans are old. <laughs> you, should be, Repu- you should be on a golf course. That's where you're supposed to be when yeah. you're 80. I'm sorry. I'm 44 Re- years old. With the other Republican voters. 
this is what I, I do. We don't want to trick ourselves into just reliving 2015. There were a lot of people in 2015 who thought, oh, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, all these young uh, leaders that are just going to uh, attract all these the energy and the vote. You know, people want new leadership. And of course, the oldest guy on stage wins. Look, um, and- absolutely fair enough. But but he was a Rubio, youthful appearance. I hate to say this, but Rubio and Cruz and those guys had no record to run on. Look, I and agree. In the Senate, they were like, I proposed a bill. I, you know, I, I, I helped shut down the government for a while. That was great, huh? Like they didn't have anything. DeSantis is going to have. And none of them 20, were improvisatory, yeah. which is a, a youthful trait. I mean, they couldn't think on their feet. They were very robotic. They were scripted. I mean, for all his faults, Donald Trump knows how to improv, which, you know, is, is something that is a sign of energy. And that's a youthful condition yeah. that none and of his none of his younger opponents really yeah. demonstrated and and DeSantis is very responsive to the not only to base concerns right but he, he can is, think on his is, feet and he is using he is using his actual constitutional powers as granted by the constitution of the state of Florida and the laws passed in Florida no one has been able to challenge the legitimacy. No, we can challenge the political legitimacy of whatever it was, even though he wasn't the motive actor. I mean, the legislature was of futzing around with Disney's, you know, Cross Creek Improvement District or whatever the hell it was called. <laughs> that was a legislative act. But, um, you know, it's not like he's doing the, you know, beat the hell out of that guy. Uh, you know, let you know, you know what the cops should do? They should they should beat the hell out of the guy and ask questions later. He is actually following the writ of the law and getting things done. And what, what's more, doing it, he's not doing it in Oklahoma. Okay, I will I will okay caveat that yeah with the executive order that he signed, the anti-rioting executive order, which uh-huh. was overturned by a federal court. Okay, okay. Because it was it impinged on the first amendment and kind of had a little bit of that okay, you know, fair enough. The, punch him in the face element to it. Fair enough. Fair enough. But it was overturned and then he he assented to the overturn. That's what I mean when you call him an authoritarian. He writes an executive order, people take it to court. The court says no and then an authoritarian would go, "Well, screw you. I'm doing it anyway." That's what an author- the court's like, "Yeah, make me." That's what an authoritarian does. He's not an authoritarian. He's a very conservative activist politician as a conservative. He is Rudy Giuliani as mayor of New York in Florida. I mean, uh, and surviving, you know, surviving court challenges and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not like lionizing him. I'm just saying the this is where drinking liberal tears is a thing, which is having the New York Times say, you exercise your authority as governor. You're an authoritarian. You're scaring me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everybody is flabbergasted. Flabbergasted, a word that appears in the New York Times story on this. Flabbergasted. It's like, good, I flabbergasted you. Guess what? You know, you don't just get to set all the rules and establish. And I'm not scared of you. Not only am I not scared of you, I'm going to lever. This is where he is like, I'm going to and Giuliani. I'm going to lever your hatred of me into solidifying my position with the people who are the first ones at the post I got to get past 
in order to take on the Democrats in 2024. There's no way that guy is not running. I don't care if Trump runs or doesn't run. He wouldn't have done this if he weren't running. And it's going to be a very interesting, we're, we're heading for an interesting political season. So I think, you know, we've been saying, I think we're probably all pretty much in agreement that um, the hardcore MAGA types, when it comes to the general elections, will will not, not only, I think in most cases, not, not, um, successfully uh, tack to the center or broaden their appeal. They don't, most don't even want to, right? Um, DeSantis is different, but how does he do that? Um, he's not them, but he is so villainized. Um, he is so unapologetically conservative and, and activist as a governor. Uh-huh. Um, that's a challenge for him. It is. But what he can say is, look at the result. That's where you get why governors are good candidates for the presidency. Assuming that things don't like go totally south in Florida by 2024, you can say, look at my state. I've been governor for six years. You know, a million people have moved in. Our unemployment rate is 4%. You know, we dropped COVID restrictions earlier than anybody else and had better health results than California, the largest state in the country. Uh, You know, we're a free state. We're not standing for teachers politicizing the education of their children, of your children or propagandizing your children. Remember, he's not going to win Democrats. He's not looking to win Democrats. He needs to win Republicans and independents. I don't see how he can't do that. I can see how Trump can't do that. No, I can see how independents will vote for Trump in 2024 because the Democrats are just too egregious that they will hold their nose and vote for Trump if the Democrats are in the same condition toward everything that they are now or if Biden's the nominee or something like that. I can see how that could happen, but I don't see why DeSantis or another it's, it's just or tonal. Youngkin can't. What? It's just tonal. The very same. Listen, I sacked this prosecutor because he was trying to he was he was ignoring the state law and he was trying to affect social change outside his remit as a prosecutor. That's the very same message. All you have to do is just not announce it like they did. Quote, prepare for the liberal media meltdown of the year. That was Christine Pushaw's. That was how she promoted this act of good governance. Just talk about the good governance. Well, so Christina Pushaw will who is his spokesman and is now, you know, sort of like the, I mean, it's an interesting strategy. Like he's got this like totally provocative press secretary who, who just like, he just like stirs outrage every day on Twitter. Um, You know, DeSantis spent the first two years of his governorship tacking incredibly successfully to the center. Let's not forget he won by half a percent. He ran the most lunatic, Trumpy, nauseating campaign in 2018. And then he gets into the governorship. And until COVID hits, he spends a year tacking to the center and getting himself to, I believe, a 60% approval rating because he did stuff on the environment and this. And I don't even know what the hell he did. But he's done it before. And Christine Pouchot will not be the person who speaks for him in 2024 when he needs to win into this is a very 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 savvy person and he's got that story the same story that like ruby you know he's like his dad his dad sold nielsen boxes 
you know, he's a he's a he's a working class kid who got himself, you know, into the I was a star athlete, got himself into the Ivy Leagues, went into the mill. I mean, it's like people don't even know his story. It's a pretty damn got to got to run first. Got to run first, John. You think he's not going to run? I don't know. I think he's going to run. Right now, you. polling has him 12 points behind Trump in 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 among Republican voters. It's really easy to get convinced that this isn't your year. It's Chris Christie syndrome. No, Chris Christie yeah. made a mistake by not running. That the, the lesson of Chris Christie is he had his he had his moment and he blew it. Who who dares wins? I, I he was don't afraid know. he wouldn't win in the general, which would ruin yeah. his career. Chris Christie. Let me just lesson, say what, and guess what? He didn't run in the general and it ruined his. Yeah, he didn't run in the general and it ruined his career. But if he loses in the primary, that's it. You know, you got to convince yourself. Forty four you years take old. On, well, well, you got to convince yourself that you can take on the big dog and win. And that's. I don't know if anyone's there yet. I, I have a slightly different view than a lot of conservatives. I don't think I, I'm not sure anyone is there yet right now. See, I, I think it's I think it's more like uh, Obama. The lesson of Obama was with everyone saying, well, it's, it's Hillary's turn. Yeah. Let her go. Then you're the, the, the path is smooth for you. You're yeah, a superstar. You're so young. Right. You're, you're so too young. young. And he's, he saw the moment, said, I am not waiting. I am I am pushing out the big dog. Does and, Ron DeSantis you know, look at Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada and see his territory? Let me put it this way. If Matt's analysis is correct, if November goes badly in the Senate, DeSantis says, Trump is not good for this party. We had, we were lever, we were ready you can't to do stop that. the Democrats. There's no way you can do that. Yes, no there you is. You can't say it that way. Well, well, I don't know how you say it, but let me put it this way. When people didn't say about Donald Trump what they were thinking in 2016, Donald Trump marched into the White House. Yeah, but when people say what we want to hear people say about <laughs> yeah, Donald now, Trump, they and now lose. when they say what they think about <laughs> Donald Trump, they're rejected from the Republican no, but Party. I'm talking, <laughs> all I'm saying is he can say Donald Trump was the greatest thing since sliced bread. This was the greatest presidency ever. He's 78 years old. You know, he looks like a laundry bag. And and his he helped chart a course in 2022 that denied Republicans the Senate that we should have had. He's the figure of Trump, the past. But then what will Trump say? I don't know. He'll say you use hair gel. Your wife is ugly. But remember, when Trump played his Trump games. Nobody knew how to fight back. You think DeSantis can't fight back? I don't know. That's right. I don't know either. The only one right now who knows what he's going to face and who is moving toward running anyway is Pence. They were literally building a scaffold (laughs) outside the Capitol for Pence. So yeah. he knows what's coming. And, and Pence is smart. That's very he's interesting probably, because he's probably already thinking about how he will respond. I, my sense is he will completely ignore it. March on and he'll continue his lines. He's very good at his lines. And he's just going to hope that Iowa is going to come out for him. 
But you're right. right, that is happening. And there's <laughs> there's pitfalls for DeSantis in that. But insofar as he's going to, Pence is going to draw a lot of that fire early. Um, maybe DeSantis thinks he doesn't have to fire the shots that he would have to. The shots always come, the shots are always boomerang. The shots are always counterattacks. Trump won't say anything about you until you attack him, which you have to do in order to displace him as the leader of the Republican Party. So DeSantis will have to have the attack. He's going to have to say what John just said. Oh, you know, it's time for a new beginning. It's time for a new start. I have a record of accomplishment. And then Trump is going to come in and start belittling him, saying something, finding something wrong, coming up with something, making something up. And what we don't know yet is how DeSantis will respond. He'll say, okay, Grandpa. (laughs) But what happened? Grandchildren living here in Florida. I think you need to go play with your grandchildren. Because, uh, and then, and then let's see. We'll see okay. what happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't I think I don't think you can out nasty Trump. I don't I think hope, that's the I way hope to go. He <laughs> it's not nasty. Yeah. It's a race to the bottom. It's not nasty. He's he seventy. He'll be, he'll be seventy-eight years old when he's when he's inaugurated. It's not okay. Nasty. Grandpa's nasty. That's nasty. Yeah. Okay. That's little hands territory. It's not little hands territory. Was about sex. Was about penis size. That was little hands territory. The answer is we just went through a presidency with somebody whose age interfered with his ability and capacity to do his job. And and I don't know that we want to go there again because it's not just that Biden had bad ideas, which he did, and I'm contesting the bad ideas. There is no dealing with cognitive decline if it happens. I don't know. There's Just, always a grain of truth to whatever his Trump's well, uh, attacks are. They're, he's he's insightful because he does manage to hang a lantern on whatever your actual yeah. biggest negative is, so yeah. even if you haven't seen it yet. Maybe phony, yeah, fake. You were nothing without me. Nothing without I think me. That, you're, that there's something. Who knows? And you know, John could be right. It maybe it's just this is just a house of cards. It's just waiting for someone to push. And the party is waiting to move on, right? But when I look at the data, um, I I still think Trump is the the front runner and Republicans nominate the front runner. And he's the leader of the party and the base thinks that he's the best thing that ever happened in the Republican Party. So, Okay. Okay. I just want to make one final point. I'm just going to read this off to you, okay? About DeSantis, because this wasn't true of, wasn't true of Cruz. Wasn't true of Rubio, wasn't true of Jeb, wasn't true of, okay? Here's what I'm going to read off to you. Bronze Star, Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal, Global War and Terror Service Medal, Iraq Campaign Medal, Judge Advocate General Corps, United States Navy Reserve, Lieutenant Commander, United States Navy in the Iraq War. So can Trump say, you're not a fighter? He can say, I'm not a fighter. Not only do I fight Disney, I fought terrorists in Iraq. I served my country. I got six medals. While you said that, you know, Vietnam was your, you know, AIDS was your Vietnam. Like, I'm just saying he's a much more formidable. He combines all kinds of, he puts all kinds of things together that people haven't quite reckoned with in terms of making it harder for Trump to play the, you know, because when he said that Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and Jeb were empty suits, 
he wasn't entirely wrong, as we can see from Cruz and Rubio's behavior since 2016 and Jeb's inability or incapacity to defend himself or go on the attack against these horrible things that Trump said about him. So this is a different kind of rival for him. And, you know, when he went at and when Trump went at people like Corker and Flake, you know, in the party when he became president, essentially to make sure that he did not have a revolt in the ranks against him at the Senate level that, you know, would sort of like lead to Nixon, Howard Baker saying Nixon should be impeached or whatever. Those guys also turned out to have, you know, they 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 thought they were they were doing so from a safe battlement. And when things got hairy, they got scared and they didn't know what to do. And he's in a different place because he has now his own independent standing with the Republican base that likes him. I mean, maybe they'll decide they don't like him, but they like him. I don't know that they've liked another non-presidential level politician the way they like him since Rudy in the 90s. I'm with you, John. He's the only one who can do it, in my view. The yeah. question but is, I could will be wrong. we do it? Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm just... I'm really struck by by the by the dismissal of the prosecutor. Like that is a ballsy, nervy, self-confident, tough thing to do that draws exactly the kind of fire from liberals that he should be drawing from liberals, which is I don't assent to your control of the political narrative in the United States. I'm constructing my own based on my understanding of where the American people are on issues like crime, law and order, and this elite decision to pick and choose what it is that they're, what it is that they're going to do with our laws and our constitution. I mean, you know, I mean, I kind of like Youngkin better than him, but I I don't think that really matters that much. (laughs) I mean, mean, it's sort of like as a political force, as a political player. Well, and Youngkin doesn't have the record yet. Yeah, yeah, right. He just got in. Yeah. So, Matt, see, we started. I don't know what, but uh, so everybody go read Matt's piece in the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, I'm sorry, it's the GOP's summer swoon, freebeacon.com. It's right there. Read it, get depressed, get active. One thing about these elections is we got it, they're like, you know, Canaries in the coal mine or an early warning system. They have provided an early what's happened this summer is an early warning system for November. Corrections can be made, just as Democrats corrected, seem to have a bit corrected their course from sailing off the end, sailing off the end of the earth. You know, they they're they're not gonna make it, they decided not to make it easy. For Republicans. And that's, you know, so the battle is joined. Anyway, thanks, Matt. Uh, Thank you, John. Christine will be back on Monday. So for Abe and Noam, John Podhortz, keep the candle burning.